What is going on, everybody? Uh, welcome to another episode of Sour and Sass. Today, I am very happy to be joined by the head of demand generation in Europe, Adam Holmgren. Welcome to the show, Adam. Nice to meet you. Nice to be here. Excited to have you, man. uh, I'm very excited to be interviewing someone based in Europe. I've done (laughs) the – I did an interview with someone based in Israel, which was a good interview. But I'm excited to interview someone from Europe because – and I want to start right here. Every U.S. brand in the world does this thing. And what this thing is, and they come to us, and this is what they do. They, they say, hey, directive, we want to partner with you, but can you tell them about your team in EMEA? And yeah. they make a big stink out of Europe, but when we get to business and we got to do budget, they don't spend more than like 10% if we're being honest on Europe. And they're yeah. not that effective at it. So in your mind, what's the biggest mistake these U.S. SaaS companies make when trying to enter the European market? And like, where do you think they go wrong? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I can start with one of the biggest mistakes we do when we enter the US. Then we can go back. Yeah, but I think we are in general very much, uh, uh, we're trying to be very nice people here in, the, in Europe, trying to be nice to everyone. So when we enter the US, we're coming in there with like, with these ads, yeah, you can look at them if you like, but we aren't going to force them down your throat. And US, on the other hand, is coming to Europe with this, yeah, exactly, um, with all these drums, with everything they've got. And we, uh, yeah, we don't like that, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> so... we, we, want, we want to have 50 minutes of chit-chat before getting to action. Uh, and the other way around in the US, I guess, is let's just talk, talk about business. Um, so I think that's very so funny, weird. actually. We talk that's about so that weird. a lot in the team. Uh, we have a we have a US based team, and then we have our uh, EMA team, of course. Uh, yeah. yeah, we have we have. It's very funny. I love that. Now it is sour and sass. So let's start some sour candy, and we're gonna unpack this a little bit more. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it for sure. Oh god. And me, mine are also super sour, so I think that's even worse. Yeah, that's really sour. Okay. Yeah. So let's translate get down to business drums as direct response. In other words, a lot of American SaaS companies, their demand gen is very direct response driven. Yeah. So what I mean by that is, you know, we're going to enter the Europe market. We're going to build out our top, you know, 500 accounts we want to break into. And then we're going to start sending them gifts. We're going to start sending them gift cards to hop on calls. And we're going to be very aggressive. Yeah. What do you think a better way? Like, what's the relational European get to know you style of advertising as a campaign? Can you translate that into a campaign for me so I can better understand kind of I the think, subtlety? Yeah. I think for sure, we as European. <laughs> It's funny that I talk for all European people when I live in Sweden. <laughs> but, I, but, but I would say I, I would say we are very much in yeah in in the search of relationships um, at all times. I would say that communities are a big thing uh, in like everything. As as we've talked about in the past, clubs we, we are trying to be a part of something to yeah to feel a purpose, I guess. And also in the business world, we have so many different communities. 
in SaaS, in sales, in marketing, um, which is also, of course, growing to become a big thing in, in the US with Pavilion and all of those kind of communities. But we have a lot more niche communities in our markets, I would say. Um, so campaigning towards them and getting into them is really something that would drive a lot of business, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And so also drive a lot of word of mouth, you know. Um, um, so, yeah, I think that's a lot of people are missing that. You know, we talk a lot about getting into uh, the dark funnel and getting into uh, dark social and all of that. But it all starts somewhere. And I think that is in the communities um, yeah. for the European markets, for sure. Um, I, this is brilliant, Adam, and I've never got to talk to you about this. And we we do suck at this, and there's not a good amount. There's no content on this, so I want to stay on this track for a second because this is a really important thing for SaaS organizations. So I'm going to make it more specific and kind of tactical, and you can tell me good or bad. And I think this yeah. will help people understand this. So at Directive, I'll just use myself as an example. I have Society. It's a Slack group. It's really cool. People are a part of it and we help each other. Like I'm in there every day answering questions, like providing insight. And it's actually been a huge part of our marketing. So I totally agree with community. Now, yeah. if I'm a SaaS company and I kind of have, let's say, my developer community or my, in your case, sales community, and I'm a U.S.-based organization, do the European markets want to be a part of a global community or should I build a European community? And then because like I know how I could advertise this, right? Like, you know. Join society, a group of demand gen marketers from all around the globe, sharing ideas, insights, and yeah. it could be, and I can make that my first campaign. And then if people interact with it, I could retarget them direct response and kind of yeah. stay communal and then ask, should I make a separate EMEA community? Or do you think I could use my American community in EMEA if I'm a SaaS marketer trying to- No, no, I actually think that would work perfectly. I think we, usually in Europe, we look, we look up to America- a lot, I would say. I would say, especially in marketing, I would say that that you are miles ahead of us. Um, if we look at, let's take Demandian, for example, that's a concept that, I don't know, it's existed in Europe for maybe one, two years, but several more years in, in the US, you know, it's, it's getting old. Um, so I think we are always a couple of steps behind. So I think we're always looking to where where can we learn the next stuff you know and usually that's that's us we turn to um well it's nothing it's not the talent of the marketer there it's more the regulatory environment and the lack of funding correct and so that's what's yeah. driving the lag between the two yeah, markets exactly I, I and i think that's that's getting better of course we are getting yeah. a lot of companies now coming from europe uh growing into unicorns right um yeah. but but yeah there have been a lag for sure um, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, no, I love. But, but yeah, I, I would say, however, that we are also, at least in some countries, are very local. You know, uh, a French person would probably prefer a French community, um, mm -hmm. for sure. So it's very dependent on the market. I would say probably the same um, Germany, um, but in Sweden, we would for sure be be uh, be up for going into a US community. That's very, very interesting. And I love you saying this. Like, I'm just, you know, I'm going to save this part of the interview and I'm going to share it with my team as well, because <laughs> I think we, we are kind of, I think, you know, dumb Americans sometimes when we think like, well, this is how we do it here. It'll work there. And yeah. then the campaign launches and then 
you know, the irony is we base we base our failure off of like localization. We think, well, yeah. the, the copy isn't translating. The, yeah, but exactly. I'd say it's the approach that's not translating more than it is the message or the words. We think it's that we're not translating it into the Swedish dichotomy correctly instead of us yeah. not translating it into the Swedish business culture correctly. You kind of I, think, I think it's the same. I, th I think it's the exact same thing when we enter new markets in Europe. Since every market is completely different, take when we, we, we just entered the UK, for example. Completely different market to, to Sweden, to France, more similar to the US. We could be more aggressive, but we, we weren't in the beginning. So um, I think every time we enter a new market in Europe, we have to have the feet on the ground to know the culture, um, to really make an impact. Um, the same when we enter US, of course, um, we need we need people there to to make sure that yeah we're getting we're getting it right. That's brilliant, and I think the part you know we think too. I think beyond just the approach and the methodology, I'd like to unpack the channels. When you think mm -hmm. about EMEA, what are the channels to you that are best at driving revenue in Europe? So because here I think the default is right. If you give someone a um, hundred dollars, let's just use it as a simple number, right? If I give a hundred dollars to a SaaS company in America, they're going to go. Yeah. 70% Google ads, they're going to go 20% LinkedIn and then 10% something else when it comes to digital. Yeah. Maybe 10% uh, review sites or something like that. Maybe it's a little more balanced, but you kind of get the idea. It's usually Google ads is the default. Everything else is a fraction. How does yeah, it work yeah. in your mind? What's most effective? Yeah, of course, Google Ads is, is effective, but I would say in, in the in the long run for us, a brand to... to to put dollars on our brand to develop that and to build that brand awareness is really what's most important, I would say. Um, because that, that How are you thinking everything. about that? Is that field marketing? Is that uh, out of office? Is that TV commercials? What When you say brand advertising, as a European, what does brand advertising translate to you digitally? Yeah, I would say mostly field marketing and communities is where the, the big magic happens. Um, we, when Get Accept started, you know, everything we did was to go to events and to and usually yeah we didn't have a lot of money back then so usually instead of you know sponsoring events which is super expensive these days we just went to to these events with our crazy suits that we we have to stand out and, yeah. and like and crashed events and these are kind of uh, now when we actually have the funds to sponsor events we need to sometimes get back to basics and just crash the event yeah, make a point to stand out, serve coffee in the line, you know, uh, all of these kinds of, because to, today to, to sponsor an event, to pay, I don't know, 50 grand, uh, sometimes it's like, it's crazy. <laughs> no, I agree. And I, I think um, you're, it's so funny that sometimes money can neuter marketing because, yeah, because I like, so our, we have a mantra at Directive. Everything has to be shockingly memorable, financially validated, and strategically aligned for the next 36 months. Yeah. And I found that the bigger you get and the more successful you are, the harder it is to keep to your roots and stay shockingly memorable. And it sounds like being shockingly memorable, it was such a part of your journey to success. How are you trying to keep that edge even though you yeah. are such a bigger team now? I would say that we have a very similar vision where we are trying to be crazy differently which I, and in that sense, I think sometimes budget is hurting you being creative. Budget yeah. is kind of 
making you uh, you are able to spend more in these regular channels like paid ads um yeah. where you could be creative and crazy differently to you know yeah to do cool stuff that doesn't have to cost a lot of money um so i think that's where we i think we are trying to go a bit back to basics in our marketing team to be honest um uh, so yeah the it's a it's a journey starting with nothing getting a lot going back to how we were before <laughs> yeah no i i love that now are you ready for another piece can you keep yeah. it going bring it okay i gotta get ready all right <laughs> so sour now before we started you and i had a great chance to connect you talked about going from three marketers to 25 yeah and we talked a lot about systems and processes trying to do that what's the yeah. biggest thing well i guess it's a two-part question we'll get to like what's the thing you're still figuring out but like what's the thing that just shocked you like what's the thing that you like in your mind never forecasted like how much this part would change or how much harder this got or how much you just were just surprised by how different it was going from three to 25 people. Like what was that biggest outlier that you didn't forecast? I would say that, that initially when you, when you think about getting more people is that you, you initially think that, okay, we're going to get so much more done. Um, <laughs> And, and to be honest, yeah. to be honest, that that's not always true. What what is true, however, I would say is that we are doing everything so much better. Of course, is we have, you know, so much specialities in all these kind of, yeah, knowledge bases. Um, but I wouldn't say that we are getting more done. So that was probably my, um, yeah, my initial uh, thought that didn't happen really. No, I, and I love that. And it's such a funny thought because I think we all think that, right? Like we got two yeah. riders, we're doing 10 pieces. If we had five more riders, we're going to do 50, 60 pieces. Yeah. And you end up doing like 13 pieces. Now, I think those 13 end up working a lot better. Yeah, but exactly. I think you're right. We think we're going to get breadth, but I think headcount oftentimes equals depth. And yeah. we don't think that going in. What's the part you're still trying to figure out? What's the part where you're like, if I'm, I'm not – feeling like we're fully there yet with our team as a group and what is that thing you're trying to figure out and what are you doing about it i i think the hard part when when we are getting uh, growing from a few to many people is okay how do we still stay agile and flexible as a team but we still need to have processes in place to be able to make sure that who does what then what do we do and the, what strategy do we have and so on so I think that is really what we are still figuring out, to be honest, in the team. Um, because everyone is super competent in their respective field. But if right. you're only like allowed to do things in your certain area, yeah, that is not like uh, an environment for cre creativity, I think. I think we need to be able to work, you know, cross-function also in the marketing team. So I think that is still something we are working out, to be honest. No, I yeah. love that. In other words, what you're trying to say is you want this exponential leverage. You want each headcount to create exponential leverage, but instead yeah. sometimes you're just creating more individual focus. So how do we compound it? Now, in you know, I would say most marketing organizations, the culture is an output of the meetings they do on a weekly cadence, which is the input. So can you tell yeah. me something about the meetings 
that you built initially at like when you kind of started scaling from three to 25 people, what the meetings of your marketing team every week was like, which meetings you kept, which meetings you got rid of and how you try to meet as a group culturally and kind of how you think about that cadence. Yeah, I think, I think uh, that's, that's a hard thing when you're growing a little, right? You're, you're used to having these meetings where everyone is just listing everything they are doing um, to everyone when you're yeah. 25 people. And I know we tried that in the beginning. Um, that's a couple of hours. Um, <laughs> it's like a show and tell that takes half the day. And you're like, all right, guys, this was not. And then nobody really cares because it's like I'm doing this. No, other thing. no, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so for me, I, I think the key here was we, we have different teams in the marketing team, of course. They have their separate meetings to go, you know, through the strategies and the day-to-days. And then the leads in each team have their get-together meeting where we actually share what's happening all around. Um, and of course, we have, you know, briefs with the entire team and so on where we, where we talk about numbers and stuff that is happening more on a high level. But I think when we get down to, to the nitty-gritty, we, we do it more in the smaller teams, which I think is really key, to be honest. I like that. Um, so you always have pods within the group. Yeah. That are all working together. That's very interesting. Now, for sure, you know, SEO, organic content marketing, still a big part of how most organizations are going to market in Europe, in the MIA, and as their spokesperson for all of Europe. um, (laughs) What do you, what do you think we don't understand? And in other words, like, does the uh, European reader? want to read a long blog post a short blog post do they want a more of a resource do they want hefty and they want to take their time do they want video do they want audio how are you mm-hmm. thinking about really engaging with your european audience since that's obviously yeah. what you run when it comes to content like what do you find resonating the most yeah i, I think the problem with many many u.s companies coming to europe is that they don't have a strategy for how to localize and localizing is not just about translation, you know. Um, there are yeah. so many different, you know, concepts that exist in certain regions. There are different wordings based on, you know, regions in countries. Um, so I think that that's a big problem. Companies are trying to, you know, rank for certain keywords, but they aren't really talking about what they want to know um, there, to be honest. Um, and that's not just your. That's not just our struggle going to Europe because that's how we. Just so you know, that's how we see it. We're kind of like we're going to Europe. Yeah, and I <laughs> you, you're like, bro. I struggle with this, and I'm in Europe, <laughs> yeah. right? So exactly. How do exactly. you personally think about going into the French market or the German market, or like, how do you think about going to market in that sense? Like, how do you localize? Yeah, I, I think it's really about getting this deep knowledge before before doing anything because it's it's so different usually uh, in the past i've like you know done what we have been successful with before shipped it to another country just hope for the best and it never works uh, so uh, we're doing the same I, thing with the whole continent we're just yeah, like exactly, hey, exactly. america we'll hope for the best <laughs> and, and i guess also it's it's also impossible to get that deep knowledge before you actually start selling in that country and getting customers right so it's kind of a chicken and the egg uh, problem here um so usually what what i think is is really what is working is to you know we need we need to have a local sales organization to be honest in 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 the region where we we're going to be and we need to start selling 
maybe we don't have to start marketing right away, but we need to start selling and we need to talk, start talking to the customers. And I, I would think that initially that would be that specific marketer's job to really make sure uh, to talk to the customers that we get in, all of them, just to, just to get a feel for the market, where they are, what they look at, you know, all of those yeah. goodies. I love that. Now, here's the problem I've seen because I do this, right? Biggest brands doing IPOs. Mm. They don't listen. Here's what I mean. I, they hire like the cheapest person they can find in each of these countries. And that's their kind of like their French marketing leader. Yeah. But that person, right? They hop on the calls. They have a tiny little budget. And I feel like they kind of almost belittle them. And they just kind of, they don't really leverage them. So how can we work with those country leaders better? Because I've been in many of these meetings and it's obvious that they're only like using this person as like a signpost, as like a figurine to be like, yeah, we have boots on the ground in France, but they're not listening. They're talking, but nobody's listening. So how can we better listen and maybe set up that dynamic so it actually results in better results? Yeah, I think one interesting thing that we are working a lot with now is, you know, how do we leverage our, you know, private organic LinkedIn's, for example, if we hire a country manager with a relevant network of, say, 50,000 people in that region, that's a huge window, right, to to broadcast our message. Like an influencer, um, like you're almost exactly. hiring a influencer. Exactly. That's really, really clever. I, I, I think we... To be honest, I, I think we need to think more in that in that regards. And it's the same when we are building our own networks, right? Why are we building them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's brilliant. That's really brilliant. And, uh, you know, I hadn't really heard someone say it like that. Now, if we talk regions, and this is important because I, I think we don't – we're not very good at this. How would you yeah. rank European countries on kind of revenue potential and when you think about it? So you're in Sweden – Let's say we've got UK, and I know that's not, you've got other parts of the UK. Let's say UK. <laughs> no, Sorry. No. <laughs> yeah, UK, you got France, no. you have Germany, um, Italy, Turkey. Like, wh- how are yeah. you prioritizing? How do you kind of see it? Because, you know, you sell a similar audience to myself. You sell, you have a product similar to many. Like, at the end of the day, every company in the world has salespeople. So which countries have the most salespeople? Let's just be simple, right? So yeah, like, how do you rank those regions and countries in your mind when you're going to market, like with budget and capital? I would, I would for sure say that um, the UK and France are, are ahead of all other countries in terms of, uh, wow. in terms of where they are with, with their, with their software and so on. Um, they are Germany they are very global? I would say they are very digitalized markets in, in comparison to the rest of Europe I would say in comparison to US they are still behind but in comparison to Europe if we look at Germany for example huge revenue potential yeah, but biggest the problem GDP. is that's why I'm like exactly, blown away right exactly now. but they are also a super traditional market right they huh. they are also you know they are very much into German companies as well it's super hard to very national. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to get in there, to be honest. Um, which which is a little bit the same in France, maybe. But but yeah, France and UK is is for sure the biggest potential for us. Um, wow. And then we have countries like Spain and Italy that have a lot of people. 
um, but there are they are not as digitalized. Um, so I think they are also a few years behind UK and France even. So we'll probably get there later. That's so interesting because the way the Americans think, like just honestly, we think GDP equals like yeah. digital, like <laughs> like that's just how like honestly, like if you were to say, yeah. I thought you, would, I thought you'd kind of go like UK one, Germany two, France three, but you're you're putting Germany lower just because it's such a harder market to break into. I find that very very fascinating. What what's an amazing market that no one thinks about? That's like way better than anyone really gives it credit for? It's probably the Nordics, to be honest. You know, we, we, uh, the GDP is pretty low, but we are pretty, we're getting pretty digitalized and pretty fast. We have a lot of, you know, we have a lot of companies that are growing like crazy um, from here. And I think that is, that is speeding it up, to be honest. Um, so I think, I think it's, I think a lot of companies now, I know for a fact that companies like HubSpot and Salesforce are trying to grow in the Nordics, but it's super hard for them since I used to work at a, at a local CRM company in Sweden um, yeah. where we, you, you know, very often we stood against Salesforce and HubSpot and won based on that local presence. And it's hard really? for companies like them to have the local presence, of course. They have world domination, but they can't really have world, you know, local presence. Um, wild. So let me tell you a little bit about America and how it's changed, in my opinion, in the last five years, Adam. And let's go to a piece of sour candy because I think you'll find similarities. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So when I first started, agencies would grow by entering local markets and location was huge. Companies mm -hmm. wanted to buy from agencies that were around them. Very normal, especially for buyers over 50 years old. So kind of that C-level buyer was very much like, Come to my office. We'll meet with you. And pre-COVID, my team and I, I was in a plane every week. Because mm -hmm. if I wanted to win a deal and I knew I was competing with other local agencies, I needed yeah. to go to their office. I knew if they yeah. went to the office and I didn't, I would lose. Yeah. Now, not the case. Yeah. <laughs> nobody cares where my company is located. My whole company is fully remote. Every city doesn't matter. In Europe, in Nordic, would, would a company make a mistake if they thought they could just have a presence in Copenhagen and it would translate? Do they need to be in each? And do you have to have that local presence, you think, really in Europe? And do you have to go into the office to win the deal in your mind? Um, I don't think you have to go into office. I think in a sense you need to have the local presence, yeah. I think you can, you know, be digital in the way you sell. You know, we have all of these amazing digital tools these days. So I don't think uh, a personal meeting in that sense is necessary, but I do think a local person is necessary and that local feeling. Um, and you, yeah, you can't really create that in any, any other shape or form. But I, I do think as, as the change you mentioned, I think that is happening also here, but only slower. Um, it's, it's going to, to happen. That, yeah. Yeah. I love this. I've never you know, been able see, to someone like this. It's funny. We see everything that is happening in the U.S. and we know that it's, you know, it's going to happen here as well later on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. No, it's brilliant. How does um, direct mail work in Europe? Are you doing direct mail right now as part of your strategy? Are you able to leverage that? Like, what's kind of your cheeky stuff? You know, you talked about field marketing and yeah. events. Are there other types of, like, 
kind of growth hacky, cheeky, like. But I, I, I would I would say, funny that you mentioned direct mail. We have actually been been utilizing utilizing that uh, quite a lot, and are going to do that even more, since it's so much, it's easy to stand out that way, right? It's not Whoa, many people yeah. doing that. Um, and the great thing is we can, yeah, we can really show off our brand and do something crazy differently. Um, and also, you know, it's easy to do that in an ABM targeted setting. Um, find our mostly valuable target list, make sure that they remember us, then we can call them. Um, well, and I think it creates that local feeling once again, yeah, right? If you, no, cause sure. you're, cause you're using the local postal system, you're connecting what technology, exactly. if I wanted to enter the European market, like in America, uh, we use Sendoso. It's a customer of yeah. ours. Sendoso is kind of that top product. For you yeah. all, like what product are you using for direct mail and ABM coordination? To be honest, we we, we haven't been using anything. We, we have been doing it on our own. I think I that's the, like, uh, that's also a thing. It's like, it's hard to make it personal when using something like Sendoso or all of these kind of... yeah. You you can send you can send like local groceries or whatever, but you can't really get the finish. To be honest, well that that's at least what we we feel. Um, so right. you know if we can just make you know handwritten notes where we write something uh, fun or something like that, that is how we stand out. Not that we buy you know something uh, a German food in in Germany, for example, it, it's not going to work. Um, really so I think that yeah. I really think that's that. Sure, if you leverage this as a volume tactic, yeah, you probably need some sort of solution for it. But we we're mostly doing that in terms of you know ABM, um, trying to leverage our dream customers, bigger customers, and so on. I love it. Um, but I think I think one thing to mention in the in Europe is also GDPR, which is always um, a tough one. Um, we talk about this all the time with our U.S. Uh, team. Um, you know, many U.S. marketing teams do a lot of these volume email sendouts. You know, brand awareness place. Um, it's impossible in in Europe. We have this. Uh, you know, you have to give explicit consent for anyone to contact you in that that regards. Um, kind of nice. Makes, um, yeah, yeah, it is exactly. <laughs> We're getting back there. We are so nice. <laughs> um, but I think that's, that makes our job a lot harder. You know, we, we have to make sure that people, or maybe not harder even, I would say we have to focus on creating value. Um, so at some stage, they will give us consent and then we can, you know, get them in the loop, but we can't do anything beforehand. Um, that you can do in the US, for example. You can do this crazy... Oh, it's a wild, wild west, man. It's yeah, wild. Exactly. You can do anything and it's normal. Like I get, I have to have standings on my phone so I don't get, yeah. you know, I get 30 calls a day and I have to yeah, send yeah. non-call IDs to the spam automatically because I, I would literally, my phone would ring every moment of the day because of how yeah, crazy. And I guess that's also something to, to realize if you are a US company going to Europe is you have to know these things um, because otherwise it will get really expensive. Um, <laughs> really quick, uh, yeah. Adam, this is I literally just got my MBA in EMEA marketing. This has been <laughs> phenomenal. Thank you so much for being on the show. If people want to Thank learn you. more about you as well as uh, the organization, uh, what's the best way for them to find out? 
yeah, you can find me, Adam Holmgren, at LinkedIn or visit GetAccept at getaccept.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been phenomenal, Adam. Thank you so much for being on the show and uh, can't wait to put this out there. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. See you later. Yeah.